Hello, everyone, and welcome to A Ball with Eric Ellis. I am Eric Ellis, and it is good to have you with us for a special episode number 21. We'll be talking with the Lumber Kings everyday first baseman, Evan Edwards, also the fourth-round pick for the Miami Marlins in this year's draft, and also the last 30-game winner and probably the last one for a very long time, maybe ever, Denny McClain, as we caught up with him on his bobblehead night in Clinton on Friday, August 16th. We appreciate both of them taking some time to talk with us. McLean, of course, will take us through what was a very storied career in the baseball ranks, a two-time Cy Young Award winner, the 1968 American League MVP, and, of course, a 1968 World Series champion in the year of the pitcher, and he was, with Bob Gibson, one of the two best pitchers in the year of the pitcher. That usually tells you how strong of a season he had, 31 wins for Denny McLean, and, again, we appreciate him taking some time to talk with us. We had caught up with Evan Edwards the day before we record this on August the 20th in the midst of a very important series with the Kane County Cougars, something that we had talked about when we had spoken with you last week. Kane County, the single-A affiliate of the Arizona Diamondbacks, currently a three-game lead on the Lumber Kings in the division race with only 14 games left to play. Meanwhile, the Lumber Kings are atop the rock pile in the wild card, a three-game lead against the Wisconsin Tim Rattlers, the single-A affiliate of the Milwaukee Brewers. And since we had last spoken with you, the Lumber Kings, they did drop two out of three games to the Burlington Bees in a brief three game homestand which you thought might have been a chance for them to pick up some ground well they came into Kane County needing wins and a lot of them because well they were four games back with four games left to play against the Cougars in that set they took the first two games game one four to two behind a really strong performance from Tanner Andrews now we had Tanner on the podcast about a month ago Indiana native and he was throwing the ball very well turned in seven solid innings of work was really the big reason for the Lumber Kings success in that 4-2 series opening win they came back in the daytime on Sunday afternoon and it looked like it was going to be a ha 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 laugher because well it was early offense Marcos Rivera had a 421 foot home run for his eighth of the season it hit off the facing of a party deck in Northwestern Medicine Field in Kane County. Lumber Kings at one point in that game led 7-1. to Well, they were able to win that game, but really held on for a 9-7 to win. Elkin Alcala, one of the Lumber Kings' bullpen options, he's got a great fastball. It will usually be around 93 to 95 miles per hour. He was hit very hard, kind of his worst appearance as a Lumber King this season. Alcala turning in just one inning and giving up four runs. Still, the Lumber Kings were able to get over that four-run rally that made it such a close game. The following night on the 19th, which is when we had talked with Evan before that contest, Lumber Kings had a very winnable game. They had two separate leads in that contest with Kent County before falling off due to late offense again by the Kent County Cougars. So it'll mean the Lumber Kings will try for a series win in their final meeting in the 2019 regular season. Now the Lumber Kings, as we've kind of talked about over the last couple of weeks, really last couple of months because of the second half emergence of Christopher Torres, who's been atop the Lumber Kings lineup card for really most of the season, even when he was struggling in the first half. Now, as we mentioned, Torres in the first half, the only thing that you could really look at positively was the defense improving and lots of walks that he had drawn. Well, the walks have stayed the same. The offense just at the plate is completely turned around because at the end of the first half, Torres batting just 167 for the Lumber Kings. That average has now gone up by over 100 points. He's batting 285 at the time of this recording, currently ranked second in the Midwest League and walks drawn 68 of those and also tied for seventh with Connor Scott, mind you, for the most stolen bases in the Midwest League with 21 of them. It's been a big reason why the Lumber Kings offense has had its start 
or its success lately with Torres just getting on base so much. And then you factor in what was the Midwest League Player of the Week performance in Peyton Burdick that had really just set the Midwest League on fire and then celebrated that with a couple of home runs on Monday once we had found out he had won the award in Peoria. Peyton Burdick, though, unfortunately, we've got some bad news to pass along. The hottest bat for the Lumber Kings on Thursday night on August the 15th against the Burlington Bees in Clinton, hit by a pitch on the hand. We have not seen Burdick since then. He has had the tan hand wrapped up. Of course, we had Burdick on our podcast as the third-round pick for the Miami Marlins in this year's draft out of Wright State. Now, we are happy to report as we got off the bus today, again on August the 20th is when we recorded this, all the taping and the extra padding that had kind of supported that left hand that had been hit by the pitch from Burdick, it has been taken off. So we don't know if we'll see him today, but the Lumber Kings are hopeful, and the Marlins are as well, obviously, that he will be returning during the regular season. He was hit on the left hand, I think it was in the fourth or the fifth inning, stayed in the game to run the bases, and then was taken out for defensive reasons. Now, we talked about this with Mike Jacobs on the pregame show before one of our broadcasts and he was telling us that they had the x-rays all taken everything seemed to be all right but played it very precautiously not wanting to test it to have to put him on the injured list so really just day-to-day status and hoping that he can return to this lineup for the Lumber Kings which has seen quite a bit of roster moves we'll touch on that when we come back after our interviews but of course we will talk about what has been a different rotation before we bring up Evan Edwards and of course Denny McClain A rotation that has kind of been in flux in the second half for the Clinton Lumber Kings. We've talked about the six-man rotation and really just every pitcher in the Lumber Kings bullpen having the ability to start and go long in innings. Well, that is now down to a five-man rotation. George Soriano has been placed on the injured list. What it'll mean for the Lumber Kings, maybe until the playoffs if they were to make it, at least how they'll ride out the rest of the regular season. It'll be Jake Walters. It starts on August the 20th in the series finale against the Kane County Cougars. Then as they welcome in the Cedar Rapids Colonels, a playoff team that had won the first half wild card in single-A affiliate of the Minnesota Twins. Series that starts on the 21st of August. That'll see Josh Robertson take the ball. Tanner Andrews then in game two on the 22nd of August. Alberto Guerrero getting the start on the 23rd of August against Cedar Rapids in that finale. And then on the 24th, when they welcome in the Wisconsin Timberattlers, a four-game set that will likely go a long way to determining who is the wildcard winner. It'll be Remy Reed who takes the ball. Reed was roughed up his last time out, which was the day before we recorded this, so August 19th. He has given the loss and is now 3-2 and two on this season. The ERA has got up a little bit for Remy as well. We had him on the podcast just a couple of weeks ago, 3.65 earned run average. And at times, just kind of foul ball to death. That was the instance for Jake Walters in his last start. So he saw a winning streak of four games come to an end, and it's something that Mark DeFelice and the Manager also, Mike Jacobs, to fleece the pitching coach here in Clinton, had talked about is just something that, you know, really frustrates you, but there's not a lot you can do about it. Just a lot of foul balls that leave the pitch counts to come up, and these guys having to come out of games early. Still, Reed was able to work around some of the mistakes that he had and a lot of traffic on the base pass to turn in five and a third innings of work. For Walters, that was not the case, as his last outing, which came on the 15th of August, was just a two and a third inning appearance against the Burlington Bees. And as we mentioned, hung with the loss which brought to an end that four-game winning streak for Jake Walters. So Lumber Kings are trying to see a a starting pitching staff that can maybe rebound a little bit because it certainly feels like towards the end of this season it is tiring a bit, and you can see that just in the walks as of late. The wildness the Lumber Kings have had on display 
Again, recording this on the 20th of August, so yesterday's game was one that featured a lot of walks, which has been an unfortunate theme for Clinton as of late. They issued seven of them in that loss. So the Lumber Kings now have seen 20 walks in their last five games allowed. It has made for longer contests as well. Just about all the games for the Lumber Kings in the last couple of weeks have been north of three hours, and it's because of the free base runners. Walks take time. Offense takes time. Now at the most of these instances. Clinton pitching has been able to work around it, but certainly has meant that longer and longer innings and more and more pitches have been thrown for a pitching staff that will be receiving just a little bit of reinforcement, something that we'll touch on when we come back after we hear from Denny McLean and then Evan Edwards as you're listening to A Ball with Eric Goes. We're now joined with one of the la- or the last 30-game winner in Major League Baseball, Denny McLean. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us here. Eric, my pleasure. Looking forward to this. Yeah, 1962, that was when you were at Clinton Seasox. Just a great place to start. Some of the memories that might be at the front of your mind when you come back here to Clinton. 57 years. I just can't get over it. It's uh, had a, As I recall, I had a real good time here. I also got fined three times for going over the bridge to see my girlfriend cost me about $500 the first month I was here before I learned my lesson. Learned a lot more lessons later on as I went through life. You know, I had a great time. It was great ownership. And uh, the uh, the best part about this, it was the perfect place to break into baseball professionally. And Because I had been in Harlan, Kentucky for about a week and a half, two weeks. I won a ball game there, and then they sent me up here to see what real life was about. And the first thing I ran into were three or four guys that were like almost 40 years old. I said, what the hell is this? Why aren't they at home you know, taking care of their kids? So that was a learning experience when I first got here. And now you went on, of course, to your, to your major league career where you had won back-to-back Cy Youngs, an MVP award in 1968, the year of the pitcher, which I guess is a, a pretty cool thing to be the best pitcher the year of the pitcher in the American League, part of a, a World Series championship as well. What are some of the memories for you like, too, in a, a really storied major league career? Man, it's just, uh, you know, it's one thrill after another. I mean, to think that I got to play with the people I got to play with, my, my idols. I played with and against my idols, Mickey Mantle. Uh, for five or six years, seven years. Al Kaline, I played with him. Rocky Calavito, I played with him. Billy Pierce from the Chicago White Sox, I played uh, against him. Uh, you know, some of the greatest hitters of all time, Billy Williams, Ernie Banks, Santo, all of these guys I got a chance to play against. And uh, when you look back on it, you only wish you would have appreciated the value of the experience then. Why does it take so long to appreciate the value of the experience? Because it takes a long time to realize, boy, look what we had at one time. Yeah, I guess you kind of get to be a fan again, right? Right after that, where you get to appreciate those big names and those big stages that you were a part of. And it's kind of interesting, too, because in 1962, when you were a Clinton Seasox, then you go into the Tigers organization. Of course, people don't remember you as a a Chicago White Sox farm man. What was that transition like for you early on in your pro career? Well, that was scary because uh, I had signed with the White Sox right out of high school, a, a day or two after I graduated from high school. And, of course, they sent me to Harlan, Kentucky. Like I said, I played a game or two down there and then came up here. I got, I got hammered pretty good, I think. I think I got beat up pretty good up here, That I, my recollection is. And then I played winter ball. I did real well in winter ball. And then in spring training the following year, 
uh, Al Lopez, who was the manager of the Chicago White Sox then, said to me after a ball game, I'd pitch, I'd pitch 12 innings in a row without giving up a hit or a run in spring training. I figured, boy, I'm making this. This is easy stuff. So Al Lopez, we had a problem with a guy named Dave DeBusher. who's an All-American basketball player, a Major League Baseball player for a while. Uh, just all kinds of great things about Mr. DeBusher, president of the NBA one time. So... Um, uh, Lopez came to us after we'd gone over to Mexico City for an exhibition series, and Lo- Lopez called me up. I pitched three innings, and uh, Lopez said to me, he says, listen, we got a problem. We can only keep one of the three of you. It was me, Dave DeBusher, and a guy named Bruce Howard. And he said, only one of you can be on the club, 40-man roster, when the spring training is over with. So what we're going to do, we're keeping DeBusher because we gave him 70 grand. That was a monster sum of money back then. He said, you got about 17 grand, and so did Howard. So what we're going to do, we're going to pitch the two of you against each other, and whoever loses, we're going to put on waivers and then take your best shot at that point. I said, boy, I said, I haven't given up a hit or a run or anything. What, what is wrong with this picture? He said, Pictures, the picture is bad because I'm the manager. He says, and I got no other alternatives at this point in time. I wish I could keep you, but we don't have room. We, we got to play in the rules. I said, okay. So uh, went out that following Saturday. Howard and I pitched against each other. We both pitched complete games. I gave up my first pitch I threw in the ball game. A guy named Dave Nicholson, who was a home run hitter with the White Sox, big time home run hitter with the White Sox at the time, hit my first pitch of the game. A thousand miles, just hit it forever. The, the sound was deafening, and uh, I lost one to nothing. I was put on waivers twenty minutes later, and as they say, the rest is history. And I, so I guess you, you find out that you're going to become a Detroit Tiger. Was there, uh, you know, any nervousness finding out a whole new organization to learn at a very young age? I was going home. I had called my fiance, who was Sharon Boudreaux, who was the who is the daughter of Lou Boudreaux, the the uh, Cub Hall of Famer and Cleveland Indian Hall of Famer. And uh, the first thing Sharon said to me was, you want to what? I said, I'm going to quit. I said, I'm just going to come home. I'll do what my dad did. I'll work in the factory, play softball, and do all the crazy things. She said, if you come home and you quit, don't call me. I will not marry you if that's what you're going to do. So uh, that snapped me up. And uh, the next thing I know, you know, a year later, we got married. And I, I pitched with the Detroit Tigers in September of 63. And against who? The Chicago White Sox. Beat the White Sox 4-3, to three, hit a home run. I mean, listen, it's a storybook tale. And uh, to beat them 4-3, to three, go nine innings, strike out 10, hit the home run, I couldn't have asked for anything more uh, in September of 1963. Yeah, and I guess, as they say, the rest is history. Yeah. I guess we can end it here, too, with where what we're here for, and that's the Denny McLean appearance in bobblehead crazy, night in Clinton. Crazy, crazy. Your likeness in a bobblehead, that's got to be a pretty cool milestone as well. I know you've got a few of them, but this one may be pretty cool as well, right? This is uh, something special. I'm telling you now, there's it is exceptional. Um, and there's a little bit of story attached to this. The Detroit Tigers, for some reason, have refused to give me a bobblehead. I, we've always had kind of this contentious relationship with the Tigers. Uh, a lot of things I don't like that they did to our club in the 60s and 70s, I haven't forgiven them yet. But guys that were making no money, they just wouldn't give them a raise. And uh, so I've kind of held that back all these years. And uh, lo and behold, I talked to the, the Tigers called me last year to come down for the 50th anniversary. And I wasn't going to go, except that would have shortchanged all the other players that were going to show up. So I had to be, you know, I was a team player. I wanted to be still a part of the team. And uh, everybody got a bobblehead night except Denny McLean. So when Teddy called me and said, listen, we want to have Denny McLean bobble night in Clinton, Iowa. What do you think? I said, it's the greatest idea I've ever had. And we've been promoting it all summer. 
So I hope you have a pretty good crowd because this has been fun. It's been fun promoting it. It's been fun talking to people, especially in Iowa the last couple of days. And uh, we're really looking forward to a nice night. I think we will have one, too, just judging by the phone calls that we have received and even the line that's beginning to form over Good. our shoulder. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us. Eric, it's my pleasure. You take care of yourself. Good luck to you. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to A Ball with Eric Ghost. We're now joined by the Lumber Kings everyday first baseman, Evan Edwards. Thanks for taking some time to join us on the podcast side of things. No problem. Well, one of the uh, newer faces, I guess we can call, really in the Marlins organization, right? A 2019 pick out of NC State. I guess a good place to start has just been the beginning of the professional career, which, I mean, this season has to be, you know, a pr pretty busy time. You know, you started as an amateur, now you're in the professional ranks, you get promoted to the Lumber Kings. How can you put into words what has been the last couple of months for you? Uh, I mean, just uh, living the dream, pretty much what I dreamed of uh, all my life, trying, uh, playing pro ball and making it to the major leagues, and this is the first step of it, I guess. Well, it's a great place to start because, you know, they had had some influences growing up, right? Who were some baseball players that you kept an eye on or some teams that you followed pretty religiously? Uh, grew up a Braves fan, so, I mean, and then being a first baseman, Freddie Freeman's just, I mean, he stuck out a lot. He just plays the game the right way and just does, just does incredible things on the field, so, yeah. So you were always a first baseman then? Is that why you were gravitating towards guys like Freddie Freeman early on? Uh, yeah, for the most part. I mean, growing up a little bit, I played a little outfield and stuff, but once I got to, like, school ball, it was first base. When we hear about Evan Edwards, and we were just looking at what you had done in, in college before we had gotten started here, you usually hear about the defensive side of things. Now, yesterday, as we record this, we should say on August the 19th, after a Lumber Kings win against the Kent County Cougars, there was some offensive components from Evan Edwards' game, but how do you describe your defensive outlook at first base? Because it's a position that sometimes gets overlooked defensively, yet you are considered one of the, the better defensive first basemen in the entire Marlins organization. Yeah, I mean... I mean, it's just like, I mean, if you have a good defense, I mean, that's something that you can be more cons a little bit more consistent with than uh, I would say offense-wise. And I mean, when because everybody has their their down their down time on the offensive side, so if, as long as you keep that uh, offense, I mean, defensive work going throughout that that stretch when your offense is down, then you should be in pretty good good shape as a uh, good teammate and just providing for the team in that aspect. So it can kind of steady you a little bit, right? You go through a hard time and you can kind of lean on the defense like, yeah. all right, this is where I'll make my impact Definitely. on the game. Uh, I was talking about this with Zach Scott a couple of weeks ago, and I said, you, you seem hot defensively. And he was taken aback, and he was like, well, I've never heard it put that way, that I'm hot defensively, but yeah. hey, I'll take it. Is that something that you can ever feel like you're in the zone defensively? You feel like, you know, not a whole lot's getting by me right now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I feel like that's something everybody can feel I mean definitely in the middle infielders heads I mean in their game I mean that's probably the most like looked at defensive spot and I mean that's just I don't know if you have if you're playing good defense and not hitting so well 
I mean, that's still something you can uh, hang your hat on the day for. You always hear at third base, I mean, you've got two corner infield positions, obviously. you got third and first, and at third they call it the hot corner because you're more of a reflexive, you know, it comes at you pretty quickly, so it's all about that first step. Now, they talk about that, I think, more at third because you have to have an arm and throw it across the diamond, but at first base it's another hot corner because that's sort of the same balls that will be coming your way, hard-hit balls from left-handers. You're usually at the forefront of a lot of the shifts that we see now in, uh, in minor and major league baseball. So what goes into the defensive aspects of you know getting that first good step and just trying to become a good defensive player and then, of course, having to, to deal with the ever-shifting infields that we now seem to expect in the baseball world? Yeah, I mean, it's just – it's all about just trying to read swings right and know, know, know what the count is, know the hitter from previous games. And, I mean, just – kind of have an idea of what pitch is coming maybe they roll over if they're thrown in you can see kind of see where the catcher's set up I mean it's just all those there's different things into it I guess it's interesting because you talk about reading a pitcher or knowing what they're going to uh, throw I think I was reading one time about Willie Mays and he was talking about his pitchers wanting to tell him what pitches they were throwing so he could play better defensively and the pitchers are like I'm not telling you man um, but that's got to help kind of on the offensive side of things because it seems like at first, like a lot of other positions, you have to think like a hitter, which you are, of course, you know, when your position comes up in the lineup, but you can use that to benefit the defensive side of things. That, all right, this is a guy that, you know, maybe throws a, a lot of curveballs, so that means that I'm going to have to be in a different position here. Left-handed hitter might get on it a little bit later or something like that. So is that ever uh, taught, at least at the uh, at the amateur ranks growing up, or is it something that you kind of have to discover on your own? Uh I mean, I'd say a little bit of both, depending on the coaching styles and, I don't know, you know, it's just depending on your relationships with the pitchers and things like that. But, I mean, some most of the time it's just like you learn on your own. And, I mean, a lot of the time it was just like a uh, – for me it was just like a – when I'm in defense, just just be ready for the – be ready for the ball at all times. And if it's hit to you over to your side, just react to first instinct. Well – we should say this, too, because as we're talking with Evan Edwards out of NC State, I was looking at some interesting facts. It was your senior season. You had no errors committed. You were one of uh, two players to play every game of your team's uh, season that year and not commit any errors in the entire nation. So that's kind of a, an interesting uh, mark of success to kind of highlight the defensive aspects that we're talking about here with Evan Edwards. And then over the course, I believe it was, of your two seasons at NC State, only eight errors. So uh, what kind of uh, coaching staff did you have out there? Oh, there was there was a great coaching staff. I mean, they were they were a mix between just laid back, cool coaches, and uh, and wouldn't mess with you when you're when you're going good and stuff like that. Wouldn't say much if you're struggling just a little bit. I mean, they'd help you out and stuff like that. But and then when they when they had to be, they'd be they'd be hard coaches. But other than that, it was it was great. Great coaching staff over there. You came from Greensboro, North Carolina, too, so you you decided to, I guess, stay local, too. You'd come out of uh, community college. So when it did come time to that transfer uh, part of your, your career, your academically and uh, for baseball, was there much of a decision at all to make, or was your mindset that I'm going to be going to NC State from the beginning? Yeah, it was, it was pretty sad. I mean, NC State was probably my dream school to go to for my top school to go to, and it was my first – Division one offer uh, my sophomore year in JUCO, so I just took that as soon as, as soon as they offered me, and it was went on from there. And did you play any other sports growing up, or was it always just baseball for you? 
I, mean, I played a little football middle school and then basketball growing up, like rec leagues and stuff. But after after middle school, it was strictly baseball. Did you feel like those sports helped at all, at least athletically early on, or was it just you know I got to go out there and play something all year round, right? Yeah, I mean I'm sure it helped. It helped a lot with the conditioning, staying in shape, part of the part of the game. But I mean, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Well, you came from Greensboro, as we said, and it's kind of an interesting point to highlight because this is where the uh, Miami Marlins single affiliate was for for many years. Did you ever get a chance to go out there? I worked in that league for a little bit, so I I was able to go up to Greensboro from Kannapolis, a beautiful ballpark, too, where you have a a minor league fan. Like, you see all these kids running around at the games that you're now a part of? I mean, yeah, definitely. Growing up, I mean, I went to several of the games, and uh, I mean, I think we had, I went to a couple birthday parties or something there but <laughs> I mean it's just growing up growing up there going to games and stuff and then then figuring out that I could have been playing there this year it's I mean it's just wild it has to be wild because we were talking about this with Josh Robertson and he comes from uh, Winston-Salem which is mm-hmm. the high affiliate of the Chicago White Sox and he said that you know some moments I'd just see the kids in the stands and kind of hit me like, you know, I used to be one of those kids, yeah. you know, looking for broken bats and, and baseballs and souvenirs like that. And so I guess a good question to ask is, did that help you at all when you knew you were going into the professional ranks that you knew what minor league baseball was like? Because maybe sometimes early on fans think that you go straight from high school or college and you're in the major leagues right away. But you have a, a long grind and a process to develop to get to that point, And that's called minor league baseball. So having an understanding of that, did you feel like that gave you any type of, uh, you know, realism of what you were going into? I mean, yeah, a little bit. Definitely with uh, playing and having some some former teammates drafted and hearing their story and they just tell just tell me how it, how it goes and stuff. It kind of helped a lot. It, it, as we said, a great ballpark. I think when I was out at Greensboro, I, they had a because they always have crazy promotions that were going on out there. There was a, a giant shopping cart that you could drive onto the field, and it was to uh, get people to I think buy organic or something like that. So I guess that kind of speaks to the the funness. <laughs> if I think that is a word now, <laughs> with uh, you know just the kids. If you see that, you know you could go there for the baseball, but then you see a giant shopping cart or something like that. It kind of makes it <laughs> a little bit more fun yeah. to watch um now that you're a part of the uh the magic that is minor league baseball and promotions like that as we saw yesterday with balancing acts during a game against mm-hmm. the king county cougars I, I know you're focusing in on those moments a, as a professional baseball player does it ever uh strike you as uh, kind of surreal in that moment i mean a little bit i mean it's sometimes you get especially if you're hitting you get a little distracted by the stuff going <laughs> on in the uh in between innings and stuff but other than that, I mean, you just got to turn your focus back on when the inning starts and just play the game. A high pick, too, by the Miami Marlins. Evan Edwards taken in the fourth round of this year's draft. I think it was 111th overall. What was that moment like for you? It was, I mean, it was incredible. It was, I don't, I don't even, I can't even describe it. It was just awesome. I wasn't expecting to go that, that early at all. I mean, but just being a senior and and everything, but... It was definitely an exciting moment. So a dream come true. Who's most excited? Is it you know a hundred way tie with all the friends and family that are nearby, or was there someone in particular that uh, hugged a little harder that day? Yeah, it was, I'd say definitely everybody. I mean, I know, and I know definitely my college coaches. They were both JUCO and at state. They were both. 
they were all excited and everything didn't want anything more. I imagine that support kind of transfers over now to the pro careers, so they're following Evan Edwards pretty religiously right now and seeing, you know, someone that they had as a, at a very young age, and mm-hmm. now he's going off to, to reach some potential. So do you feel still feel that support from back home, from the friends and family, now that you're, you know, many miles away out here in Clinton, Iowa? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I always, I mean, definitely family there always text me and stuff, and here and there, I'll get some texts from some from some uh, like old friends that I ain't talked to in a while, and just stuff like that. It's, it's pretty cool. The first time we ever saw Evan Edwards, we should say this was in Wisconsin, and we were told that we're getting a new first baseman to start the second half. But he's not going to be able to take BP, and he's not going to be able to do any field work. He's flying right in. He's going to be putting on the jersey, and then he's in the lineup. Well, it was a great day. It was a couple of RBIs and a couple of hits. So what was that moment like for you? You get that promotion early on in your pro career. I mean, it was was exciting definitely uh, when I got the news, and it was after a a night game in Batavia. I think we were about to go on the road uh, the next day, but – I didn't do too hot that uh, that game, so it was kind of like surprising after the game. Like when I got the news I was coming up, I was like, "All right, we'll see how it goes." And then, uh, but then flying in, we actually got delayed a little bit on the flights over, so it was kind of it's kind of tiring. You get here, put the jerseys on, and just go. It, was, it just felt weird. I don't know, but it was awesome. Must have felt like planes, trains, and automobiles. You get to the ballpark, and you're you're kind of inserted right into because this is the beginning of the second half. A team that has been one of the best teams in the Midwest League in the second half was the reception. I mean, we talk to these Lumber Kings pretty regularly. They seem a pretty welcoming bunch too when you come out mm-hmm. here, and then you get right into a to a winning team. So, what was that uh, transition like as you became a Lumber King early on? I mean, it was definitely the the guys on the team definitely made it definitely made it easier. They all, they they welcomed me in and everything like that and felt like I was part of the team for the whole season. Well, it's great to talk about because as we mentioned, you played in 61 games in college, which was the, the most I mean games you could play in, in college because that was the schedule for you at NC State. And then you get inserted into a league that plays 140 games. So they talk about that grind of baseball, but when you're on a successful team, does that? Just make it a little bit easier and not kind of focusing on the, the bumps and bruises and, you know, how much longer you have to go to the end of the season that, you know, every game has this added weight. As we said, recording this on August the 19th, Lumber Kings are two games out of first place. They're playing the first place team, the King County Cougars, over close to 9,000 fans here a couple of nights ago. So the energy is there. Does that help kind of combat that, you know, long season, the grind that we hear from a lot of players? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, when you're I mean, when you're out there having fun and every day and you're winning, I mean, winning definitely helps. But when you're out there getting along with your teammates and just having fun out on the field, I mean, it don't really matter how many games you play. It's it's still going to be fun, and that will kind of make it fly by, I guess you could say. But. It's great to hear because of the the players, as you say, welcoming you, and then you have that, uh, you know, they they welcome you right in, and then you're inserted into the the playoff run the Lumber Kings are currently on, uh, a team that you know may have had its issues or struggles in the the first half, but it, you talk about the development that you see in that course. That's what you're supposed to do in minor league baseball. So it seems like a lot of guys, you know, you, it's very easy to be bought into just the 
individual stats, right? Well, as long as I get mine, you know, everything's fine. It doesn't seem like that's really the, the mindset of the Lumber Kings, which is a, a single-A team that, you know, kind of has a, a big league vibe of, you know, everyone working together as a team. You don't see a whole lot of team baseball, minor league baseball, but it, it seems like that is the case for the Lumber Kings here in 2019. Is that something that you could notice maybe early on as soon as you got here in the second half? It, yeah, I mean, I guess so because, I mean, I don't really – I guess coming from college, it's hard, hard not to like see us playing as a team. And I mean, you see some guys playing individually sometimes. Maybe if they haven't been doing too hot, or and then they have a good, good, good start to a game, and they just start trying to pad on a little bit since they haven't been so hot. But I mean, other than that, it's I mean, I, that's all I've seen since we've been here is just playing, playing for each other. Has there been any difference, too? Because you're a good guy to ask on this, uh, in just the style of coaching that you see from the amateur ranks to the professional ranks now that you've been a, a pro for a couple of months. Oh, uh, I mean, no, not really. I mean, it's been been pretty uh, pretty normal, I guess, since I mean, I've always been fortunate to have great coaches throughout my whole baseball career. And now to have some great coaches here, I mean, they're – they're they're cool. They mess around a little bit, but they know when to, they know what uh, when the right time to coach is and when the right time not to mess around is. So that's pretty cool. Mike Jacobs, the manager, and Frank Moore, the hitting coach. I, I know you don't work too closely with Mark DeFelice unless he's maybe teaching a knuckleball or something like yeah. that as a pitching coach. Although everyone does have a knuckleball, we should say, you know, just in case they need to be pressed into service. What has uh, Mike Jacobs and uh, Frank Moore been uh, like to work with? We've had them on the podcast. They seem like they're thinking baseball a, a lot. So it must be a, a fun person to pick your brain. You've got Jacobs, who's got big league experience, too. So what have they been like to work with in your time in Clinton? I mean, it's been pretty cool. I mean, you- I mean, like they won't. They didn't. Nobody really messed with my swing, for say, or anything for a, for a while. And they just kind of just stay back and let me play my game for a little bit. And then, and then when we got when I got some more games under my belt, they started talking to me a little bit, helping me out a little bit in the cages and stuff. So they've been a big help. Well, you swing left-handed. Are you left-handed for just about everything too? Yep. The only thing I don't do left-handed is eat and write. Okay. Well, it's interesting because for me, I, I write left-handed and everything else is, is right-handed. Really? But it, it makes sense as a first baseman, right? You always hear yeah. about a, a lefty. So I guess you're a natural, a lefty, and just about everything growing up, right? Yep. Yeah, well, we're talking here with Evan Edwards, Lumber King's uh, first baseman, everyday first baseman since he got here in the second half, which means we did not have you in the first half of the season. Now, when the players had gotten here, this is usually how we like to end our interviews. We had everyone fill out a questionnaire. As we joke, I have to do a, a tap dance every broadcast for three hours by myself, so I need things to talk about with you guys. And so we'd ask the guys about celebrity crushes and you know horrible, embarrassing moments on a baseball diamond and, and things like that. Uh, do, do you have any hobbies that you get to indulge sometimes when you get away from the game of baseball? Uh, yeah, I mean, I like doing some – I like doing outdoors things like fishing and got a four-wheeler, so I like riding – Riding around a little bit when when I get home and get done with baseball and stuff. So, and do you have any celebrity crushes too? Is there anyone uh, that comes straight to the mind? Because I, we've asked this to Peyton Burdick before. We gave him two chances, and both times he gave us. I, I got no one, and I find that hard to believe. Yeah, I don't. I can't really think of anybody. I've really, 
Well, it's all right uh, because we're putting you on the spot right here, so we understand. <laughs> Peyton had two chances to think about this, but that that was uh, you know a different character, so to speak. Well, <laughs> also, we should uh, I guess ask you before we uh, let you go here as we talk with Evan Edwards, Lumber Kings uh, first baseman, 2019 season, first year of your professional career. What were the goals that you had coming in uh, to beginning this pro career? Uh, I mean, I didn't just to play the game. I mean. Maybe turn some heads if I can, but if not, just to get the feel for pro ball and hitting with wood bat every day. I mean, yeah, that, that's a big that's a big change. How do you ex- how do you explain that uh, difference between? I guess they have the composite bats now, right? In in college, into the wood bats. What's the the adjustment that goes into that? You know, I don't I don't really know the exact exact like I don't know. I don't really know, don't know how to explain it, but I mean it's just. Just different. Like you can break, you can break a bat, a wood bat, if you just hit it maybe a inch or two, like in the wrong spot or something. So I, it's, I've heard that like working when pitchers work inside, pitchers always describe it like they have a, they can work inside more in pro baseball with wooden bats because they can you know break them as opposed to maybe a ball gets muscled out in college because you know the bat stays yeah. together. Is that something you've noticed maybe at all just in that transition? I mean, yeah, yeah, I'd say so. I mean, definitely. Well, it's one of the uh, transitions, too, for the uh, professional career of Evan Edwards. We thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us here on the podcast side of things. Big games all ahead for the Lumber Kings stretch drive, and uh, we appreciate you taking the time again to talk with us here on the podcast side of things. Definitely. Thank you. And welcome back to A-Ball with Eric Ghost. You just heard from the last 30-game winner in Major League Baseball history in Denny McLean. And we thank him for taking some time also to Evan Edwards, the Lumber Kings everyday first baseman, also for taking some time to talk with us in the midst of that four-game series with the Kane County Cougars. As we were alluding to in the intro, we'll be touching on the roster move for the Lumber Kings coming into the finale against the Kane County Cougars. The first roster moves for the Lumber Kings since August the 14th, and there were quite a few of them. Brian Hernandez will be the new bat that is added to the Lumber Kings roster. He was playing for the Batavia Muck Dogs at the time of his promotion. Lumber Kings fans, of course, may remember him. Hernandez had a brief stint with Clinton at the beginning of the season back in the month of May, coming from Batavia, which will mean the Lumber Kings now carry five outfielders, five infielders, two catchers, and 13 pitchers. Now, we mentioned one of those roster moves, George Soriano placed on the injured list, and that will likely be the case we'd imagine for the rest of the regular season and maybe activate him where the Lumber Kings to make the playoffs, which would, by the way, be the first time since 2016. What it has allowed, though, is a spot on the roster, and the Lumber Kings will put Peyton Colbertson back on the Lumber Kings roster. Now, of course, Lumber Kings fans remember Colbertson because he was with the Lumber Kings on the opening day roster. An Arkansas State product, Colbertson, a right-handed arm that was working in the rotation for the Lumber Kings before he was placed on the injured list at the end of April. His last appearance coming with Clinton on the 25th. So he'll be in Clinton now, the Tennessee native, 22 years of old, 22 years of age, we should say. Eighth round selection by the Miami Marlins in the 2018 draft. Now we're told, though, that Colbertson will not be in the rotation now. This is coming from the Lumber Kings pitching coach, Mark DeFelice, telling us that he will be an option for the manager, Mike Jacobs, out on the bullpen. 
which as we said in the intro, the Lumber Kings are down now to a five-man rotation. So when we had Remy Reed and he was joking about the six-man rotation saying, hey, I'll take the extra day because, you know, you get an extra day when you have an extra guy in the rotation of rest for Remy Reed. Well, that won't be the case anymore for Reed down the stretch, I'm sure. And he even said that in the podcast interview that it didn't bother him too much. He didn't have a vote, but of course he will be seen next against the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers, which again we had talked about. That was going to be on Saturday, August the 24th against Wisconsin. Reed has been one of the Lumber Kings' better options, although did stumble a bit in his last outing. So the Lumber Kings don't have that many games left in the 2019 regular season. The home stretch as they try to make the playoff for the first time since the 2016 season when Clinton had gone all the way to the Midwest League Championship Series. Their final multi-series homestand starts on August the 21st against the Cedar Rapids Colonels. That will end on Friday, August the 23rd. And then begins the last really, really important series of the 2019 regular season when the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers come into town on Saturday, August the 24th for a four-game set that then ends on Tuesday, the 27th of August. Lumber Kings only have three more road games left on the year. That'll be against the Burlington Bees at Community Field August the 28th through the 30th and their final games of the 2019 regular season will be against the Peoria Chiefs August the 31st through September the 2nd through that Labor Day weekend. There'll be a day off on Tuesday, September the 3rd. The playoffs in the Midwest League will then begin on the fourth and potentially run through the 16th. So that is all the baseball that is left in the Midwest League for the Miami Marlins single-A affiliate. A very exciting time. It's been a talented team that has seen its ups and downs. And right now, as it looks, at least they are on the inside track for a playoff spot, and they'll have to either stave off the Wisconsin Tim Rattlers or hope for some help and also a win on August the 20th against the Kane County Cougars. Not a whole lot of baseball left in the Lumber Kings faithful, which has been traveling pretty well on the road. It's usually a sign of a team doing well in the minor leagues because the Lumber Kings are very fortunate in their travel schedule that they have teams rather close to them. And so you'll see kind of a lot of Lumber Kings gear in the crowds on these games on the road. And maybe that will be the case again in Burlington, just a short ride away from Clinton. And of course, we hope to see you out at the ballpark over one of these final games in the 2019 regular season or during the postseason. If such a thing were to happen, this is where we'll shamelessly plug our broadcast side of things because, of course, you can listen to all Clinton Lumber Kings action in 2019 and in the postseason with yours truly, Eric Ose, on the call. You can listen if you're in the broadcast range on 100.3 FM WCCI and online if you have the TuneIn radio app at LumberKings.com for those of you outside of the broadcast range. Want to give a special thanks to both of our guests today. Denny McLean, the 30-game winner, doesn't get much cooler than that. And, of course, our everyday first baseman with the Clinton Lumber Kings, Evan Edwards. Until next week, this is A-Ball with Eric Ellis. 